Uh, good morning. If you want to maybe start take your seats again. Well, it's so exciting to see so many people who uh, have been away and come back and are visiting. It's, uh, it's a real buzz this morning. Great to see you. Great to see Belchex. Fantastic. You just couldn't stay in America, could you? You just had to come back. We know why. We know why. <laughs> and others, Mohammed, a friend of mine, it's great to see you again. I haven't seen you for such a while. So good. Um, so welcome. It's, it's, let's extend my welcome to you this morning. My name's Jem. I'm one of the elders at the church. And I'm going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. As Matt read out this morning, this passage, probably a very famous passage to those of us who um, maybe have been a Christian for a while, have familiar with the Bible. Um, we might have heard this before or many times. Um, it's in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. If, you, if you've got a Bible, you may want to turn to that. You may want to follow that as we read through it in a minute. If you haven't got a Bible, there are some on the, on the, the windowsills if you want to grab one. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. And um, interesting what Matt said at the beginning about this prophetic sort of idea that came through our prayer meeting this morning about refocusing on worship. The, the idea of a tugboat and a compass just bringing us back on track. And really, that's, I want to sort of touch on that a little bit today, speaking from this passage, because what I want to talk about is this idea of over-familiarity and how over-familiarity can breed contempt. That's a British phrase, for those of you not from our culture. British phrase, familiarity can breed contempt. And what that means is that we can become over-familiar with something that we just, oh, doesn't matter anymore. Oh, we're just used to that. We know about that. That's all right. Uh, I don't need to really focus or listen anymore because I know all that already. Um, and what I want to focus on from this passage is, is the similar thing that happens and how through that, the people that Jesus is speaking to miss out on their calling to bring good news to the world. Their over-familiarity with Jesus in this passage leads them to rejecting him and they miss out on their calling. And I don't want us to do that. I want us as a church to be full and aware and expectant of the calling of God on us as a church, to be those who bring good news. Um, I've got a balloon here. Okay. Can you see it at the back in the balcony? Can you? Bit, bit of a flimsy, feeble balloon, isn't it? terrible balloon. It's not doing what a balloon should do, is it, really? What should that balloon be like? It's like, this is, yeah. This is what a balloon should be like, isn't it? That's a proper balloon, eh? That's a proper, this, yeah, it's a balloon, but it's not fulfilling its function as a balloon. This is a proper balloon. What does it take to get from this balloon to this balloon? Anybody? Faith. <laughs> faith. It takes faith to get from this balloon to this balloon. Wow. Yeah. It, it may well do, but that's not going to get this balloon up to this state, is it? Maybe their faith, <laughs> uh, maybe their faith will, actually. Yeah, here we go. Let's, let's just pray for that balloon. Come on. Come on. I have faith that you could be like this. Come on. That's no, not going to happen. What, what, what takes it to become like this? Air. A diaphragm. <laughs> Matt's getting very technical here. It just takes air, doesn't it? It takes air to get from here to here. For the, this balloon to be what it's supposed to be, it takes air. Air is all around, isn't it? It's something we take for granted, isn't it? We breathe it in. We breathe it out. How, when was the last time you considered air and thought, how amazing air is? You just sat there thinking, 
Look at all this air around me. Isn't it just wonderful? I love you, air. Without you, air, I wouldn't be alive. Maybe if I stopped air coming to my lungs, what would happen? I need you, air. You're so wonderful. I wake up, air, you're there. I love you. I go to sleep, I snore, air, you're coming in. And yet, we don't really consider it, do we? It is so important to us. It it gives us life, really, doesn't it? It pours life into our bodies. Air is so important. And yet, we just take it for granted, don't we? We take it for granted. And I think, that's what I want us to be aware about. This is what happens, I think, in this passage. There's so much in this passage, as Matt read out. And I'm going to read it in a moment. But the one thing I want to focus on is that let's not be over-familiar with what this passage talks about. The work and person of Jesus. The work and person of the Holy Spirit. So important, as we'll, as we'll look at. So let's look at the passage. Starting in chapter 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee. He'd been out in the desert. The Holy Spirit said, led him out there. He'd been in the desert. He'd been tempted, as we looked at last week, by the devil. And he resisted. So he came back to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Now, he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. It's his hometown. He's coming back to his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, this is the day when the, the Jews would gather together in their, in their synagogue to worship God, to listen to, the, to them speak from the word, the, the Old Testament. He went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So he did, as everyone else did. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. This is an Old Testament book, a very important book for the Jews, the prophecy of Isaiah. It had lots in it about a Messiah that was going to come and save them. So it's an important piece of, piece of the Bible that they understood. And Jesus enrolled it. He found the place. So Jesus deliberately looked and found this place where this is written, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Imagine great news, isn't it? A great piece of scripture. He said, then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant in the synagogue were fastened on him. They're waiting for Jesus to speak from this passage. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Then Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you do in in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, continued, no prophet is accepted in his own town. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Elijah was another great prophet from the history of Israel that people revered. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. That's an area outside of the Jews and Israel at that time. It was a foreigner. Okay? 
And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. So Elisha took over from Elijah. He was, the, he was superseded Elijah as one of the prophets. And yet none of them, these lepers, were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, another outsider to Israel. There were many with leprosy in Israel, but only one was healed, and that was someone from Syria, not even an Israelite. The prophet went to them. Now, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. What a transformation we see in this story from a great sense of expectation and excitement about what is Jesus going to say to, man, we've got to get rid of him. He's insulted us. We've got to get rid of him. We don't want anything to do with him. You can imagine, there they are. This is, this is, they've got this amazing guest speaker come to speak to them. They've heard things about him. He's done miracles already around, about. People have been on a buzz and saying, Jesus, this is the one who's been telling amazing things. You've got to listen to what he's got to say. He's doing amazing things. There's a real sense of excitement. The scripture, even though the bit of Bible that they're going to be reading in the, in the synagogue that day is one that's filled with the weight of expectation. They know this scripture. It's so familiar with them. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's prophetic. And it's filled with words about liberation. And Jesus is saying, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the person we've been hearing doing such amazing things. What's he going to say? Is this now the time for a really stirring speech? A speech that, may, that says now is the time to rise up and overthrow the Romans. This passage talks about being free from oppression. That's what we want. We've been oppressed by the Romans for so long. Is Jesus going to come and ask us to join a big army with him and we're going to march into Jerusalem? We're going to overthrow the corrupt regime. We're going to free ourselves from this Roman oppression and this Roman occupation. This is the time. Look, this is what he's reading from. What's he going to say to us? And they get probably the shortest preach in history. In English, it's about eight words long. The shortest preach. You've heard all this. You know it all. But today, you know what? Today, this is fulfilled in me. It's fulfilled, he says, in your hearing. All this expectation, and Jesus then sits down and says, today, the weight of this prophetic word is fulfilled in your hearing. And you can see the cogs stirring in their minds a little bit, thinking, hang on a minute. This, we know this Jesus. Isn't it? has got amazing words, but hang on a minute. We know him. What's he saying? He's saying that he is this amazing prophet that we'll be waiting for. This is, he's this amazing Messiah. It's fulfilled in him. But he's just, he's just this carpenter's son. Joseph's son. We've known him grow up. We've seen him. We've seen him hanging around the town, the village. It can't be him, surely. And Jesus sees into their very hearts. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus uses two of their famous prophets. So Elijah and Elisha, several hundred years before Jesus, were doing amazing things. And they were going around and they were prophesying that God was with Israel's people and all sorts of things. And he was operating in and around Nazareth and where Nazareth was. That's where they were, these two prophets. 
So I, I think that Nazareth sort of owned these guys as a bit of a, these are our hometown guys, um, famous historians. We've built, you know, today you'd have statues of them in the marketplace. These, these are our guys from this area. We love them. We know them. They're, they're, they're the guys that are, are, are famous for our hometown. We're not, not much else from Nazareth, but we've got these two amazing prophets from, from hundreds of years ago that we revere and hold up. Um, and Jesus says, well, these guys, these prophets that you held up, they didn't come to you with healing. No, they did. They, they provided miracles for those outside of Israel. So, so this prophetic weight that Israel had as a nation to bring the kingdom of God to a world that needed it, they'd missed out on. They hadn't recognized it. Even with Elisha and Elijah, just nothing. Elisha had provided food for, uh, sorry, Elijah provided food for a woman who was not of that town in the midst of famine. Elisha had healed someone from leprosy who was not Israeli. He was from Syria. Jesus is saying here is that just as you missed the prophetic call on you in the past, you're doing so now. Your over-familiarity with me and my background <coughs> excuse me, means that these actions are not going to be completed amongst you. This idea of the freedom, this wonderful good news to the poor, this freedom for the oppressed, this sight for the blind, it's not going to be fulfilled amongst you because you've become over-familiar with me. You don't have the faith for it. You don't have the, um, it's not going to happen amongst you. The prophetic ministry of Isaiah is going to go beyond you into the world. That's what it was always about. That's what these two prophets were doing a long time ago. It's now the intention that this is going to happen again. This good news from Isaiah is going to go out to the world. But it's not going to happen through you. It's not going to happen in your time. But because of your blindness, your over-familiarity to who I am, Jesus says, you're going to miss out. This over-familiarity with Jesus leads to these people in Nazareth missing out on their calling as the people of God to bring good news to a world that needs to hear it. Their over-familiarity leads not just to them rejecting Jesus, but literally throwing him out of the town. We don't want anything to do with you. We want nothing to do with you. Get out of here. And he says they lead him up to a cliff, don't they? And they're prepared to throw him off. They start with this huge expectation and yet they end up being violently opposed to Jesus because of their over-familiarity with him. They think, oh, we know Jesus. We're not, we're not prepared to listen to what he's got to say. We know what he's like. We've heard it all before. Have we got into the same position? Are we for over-familiar with the Bible that we don't read it anymore? <laughs> Are we over-familiar with prayer that we just think, ah, it's just routine to go through? Are we over-familiar with the person of the Holy Spirit? We miss out on being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it was um, Samuel Johnson who said, when a man is tired of London, he's tired of life. That's why you've come back, Belchex, isn't it? You suddenly realized you love London. You wanted to come back and see it. <coughs> but the, I think something could be said, the same could be said about the gospel. If we've grown weary of reading the Bible and praying, if we've grown weary of, of doing good for others and to others, Maybe we've grown weary of Jesus and the gospel. Our familiarity with Jesus has diminished our joy and expectation that this message of Jesus can change lives, 
That's what this prophesying Isaiah is talking about. It's changing lives. The power of God to come and bring transformation in people, to bring healing, to bring hope to those who are hopeless, to raise up those who are in despondency, to give them a new vision of what life is like through Jesus in God the Father. It's wonderful news. But maybe we've grown over-familiar with that. Maybe it's crept in. Maybe like that tugboat or that, or that, that vision of, of being led astray, that idea of a compass. You take a little, little deviation to start with, but that leads to a massive deviation further along. We need to be brought back. I think we need to contend for these things, contend for the things of the Holy Spirit, things that maybe we've become over-familiar with. Jesus' message, I think, is twofold in this. In Jesus' statement, I think he understands two things. Firstly, this expectation of the Messiah, the work of the Messiah, is completed in Jesus. It is in and through the person of Jesus that the kingdom of God is going to, become, is going to come. Have we become so over-familiar with the words to the gospel that we don't want to tell people about Jesus anymore? We've just become over-familiar with them. In fact, we use language that no one can understand anymore because we're not contending with what does this mean for people when it says Jesus has come to bring good news to the poor, to set the captives free. Have we become over-familiar with language that we use? In the end, we end up trying to come up with clever gimmicks and programs that no longer declare who Jesus is and what his message is. We start to do things that neglect the message of the gospel about who Jesus is because we become over-familiar with it. We need to do something new. We need to do something more exciting. Where's that guest speaker who's going to come and stir us to do something different? Or what, what new program can I find that's going to really break through and make a difference? That's not going to make a difference. Contending for the things of faith and the Holy Spirit. Regular reading of the Bible and understanding it. Applying it into our lives. Regular commitment to prayer. Being with Jesus. Regular commitment to being filled with the Holy Spirit are what's important. And that's the bit I just want to spend a little bit of time focusing on, this idea of the Holy Spirit. Because Luke, if you notice, notice as we've been going through, through the, we're only up to chapter 4. And the work and importance of the Holy Spirit is mentioned so many times up to this point. This is one of the key themes of Luke in both this book, his gospel, and the book of Acts. So Luke wrote both those books. And the theme of the Holy Spirit is, is so powerfully present at the beginning of each of these that he wants to focus our attention on it. He doesn't want us to lose the, and miss out on what the Holy Spirit does. <clears throat> last, last few weeks we've seen Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what Luke talks about. Jesus is God, and yet he is baptized with the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at how Jesus was led into the wilderness. How? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took him there. And he was tempted by the devil. And then we see at the beginning of this passage that Jesus returned to Galilee. How did he return to Galilee, Luke says? He returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so much going on. And then we get probably, say, the shortest preach in history. It is a gospel message, a good news message. The scripture that's read out is one of salvation and hope. It's both a prophecy and a, and a promise from God that there will come someone who will be full of God's spirit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. 
someone to, who's going to come and free those who are in bondage. And from this moment on in Luke, what we see happen is that people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. In Luke chapter 4, verse 31, it said, Jesus, they were so amazed because he had authority. There was something about his teaching that was different because he was an, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the power and authority he demonstrates over sickness and demonic forces in people's lives and even ultimately death. When we get to the end of the, of the book and Jesus dies on the cross. For, for Luke, this all starts, this authority, authoritative teaching, the work of the power of the kingdom coming in even leading up to Jesus' death, under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And for Luke, this anointing and leading and power of the Holy Spirit is just as vital for the early church. At the end of Luke's gospel, which we'll look at in how many months' time, Matt? <laughs> Who knows? But we'll get there. We'll get to the end of Luke's gospel. And we see in there, we see Jesus telling his followers, he says, wait in Jerusalem to be clothed with power from on high. It's in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. That's how Luke sort of finishes his gospel. Go and wait to be filled, clothed with power on high. You need it. And then at the beginning of the Acts, when he writes his next, next little letter and next, next little book, he starts by emphasizing again the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said. And he said to his apostles, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, he says that Jesus taught the apostles um, all Jesus taught was chosen by the Holy Spirit. And he says again how they are to wait in Jerusalem. He says this time in Luke, he says until they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And here he calls it the gift that God promised. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God that he had promised. The Holy Spirit is God's gift of his very presence. That's what it is. God's promise is to be present with him. And this presence will ignite and fill the church to fulfill its mission, to bring this message and power of the kingdom, this good news to the poor, this freedom for the captives, this healing and, and receiving of sight for the blind, <clears throat> to every person. That's the mission. And under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, Luke records that Peter stands up at the beginning and preaches a good news message to people gathered in Jerusalem. He preaches a good news message under the power of the Holy Spirit. As it falls on him and the others. What must we do to be saved, they ask. And Peter writes, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus. That's the good news. It's fulfilled in Jesus. This good news message. And it's under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit that Luke recounts Peter went around healing people. And it's under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit that the other disciples of Jesus go out and bring the good news. to so not just their own city, but their neighboring communities, and then even further to places they've never visited and traveled to before. It is under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit this message is accompanied by physical acts of healing and release from prison. We read of Paul being set free from prison by the power and miracle of the Holy Spirit. We read of people being healed, set free from demonic oppression through the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church. <coughs> this is the pattern for Jesus' ministry, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and for the ministry of the early church. This is the pattern for their ministry. Surely it should be the, our pattern for ministry right now. The work of the church in fulfilling its prophetic call to bring Jesus to people, or sorry, bring people to Jesus, and seeing 
people healed, transformed, and filled with a new hope has to be under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. The message of the gospel is imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. This thing, this passage in, in Isaiah, the one that Jesus quotes, it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, what? To proclaim good news. The very words of Jesus that are spoken, are in, uh, uh, Luke says, are imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. The words that we have in the Bible today, we believe are God-breathed. That doesn't mean they're literally written down under um, some sort of automatic writing, but they're guided and imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit that people wrote these words for us today. The power of the Holy Spirit is at work in the Bible. Let's not neglect giving up. The message of the gospel should be full of wonder and power as we see that in Jesus, all the promises of God are fulfilled. We must never grow over-familiar with the Bible, with the gospel. We need to contend for our time in reading God's word. We need to carve out time to do it. If we've become over-familiar with it, if we can't remember what the Bible says about some things, maybe we've just stopped reading it. We've become over-familiar with it. We need to get back on track. We need to be guided again. This is work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the word of God to life. The Holy Spirit, as I said, inspired the word of God through those who wrote it. It's the Holy Spirit who can bring revelation from it to us. So let's, let's contend for time to read the Bible. And when we do, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Because the gospel message is imbued with the Holy Spirit. When we pray, it says pray in the Spirit, in all, pray in all times in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers, the Bible tells us. It's not just a routine act of repeating a few words. It's not just an act of just repeating the Lord's Prayer every now and again and thinking, yes, we've prayed. The Lord's Prayer is fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a model of prayer. It helps us to, to think about the things we need to pray for. And it starts by worshipping God, but then it starts about praying God's kingdom will come, the things that we've just been talking about. Healings, good news for the poor, God's kingdom, God, your kingdom come. But if we just repeat the words without thinking what it's talking about, we've become over-familiar with it. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in our prayers to say, God, what are you doing? Holy Spirit, where are you leading me to? Praying for the sick. When was the last time you prayed for the sick? Or in my case, when was the last time you prayed for the sick and nothing happened? What happens is you can become over-familiar with it, can't you think? Or just think, it's not working. Okay, this is just, just for then. The old times when the Bibles were written, it needs to be happening then. It doesn't happen when I pray, so therefore it's just not supposed to happen now. Because we're not, we, and, and what, that, that, that leads to us just getting off course and not praying anymore for the sick. I'd love to see more prayer for the sick. I'd love to see more people healed. But it's going to happen through us praying for the sick, being full of faith through the Holy Spirit, of the message that God Jesus has proclaimed. <coughs> Excuse me. Have we become over-familiar just with the idea of Holy Spirit? That we've neglected the power of the Holy Spirit to bring new life and transformation? It's the Holy Spirit that causes our hearts to be born again, to be made new, it says. Maybe we've, we've programmed in times for the Holy Spirit to act. Okay, now is the time. We're going to take a few moments. Anyone got anything from God? Okay, nothing? Right, let's move on. Um... Because we've just become over-familiar with the Holy Spirit. 
or again, just disillusioned with it. We tried it, it doesn't work. Let's move on to the next new thing where it is going to work. Rather than contend for no, I'm going to contend for it. I'm going to have faith for this. I'm going to continue in it, asking for the Holy Spirit. It's probably likely we've been stopped asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to try and do those things in our own strength, make up our own programs, think up clever words and ideas. But we don't want to be like this deflated balloon, do we? Not really. It's not fulfilling its purpose. It's not a glorious thing, is it, this balloon? This balloon is a glorious thing. A glorious balloon, fulfilling all its potential, filled with its air that's needed. But if, if we don't contend for the things of the Holy Spirit, I think we'll, we'll, be, a, we'll be a balloon, we'll be a church, but we won't be fulfilling the purpose of us to bring good news. If we become over-familiar with the gospel and just over-familiar with its words and the, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we just contain it within ourselves and think this is a jolly place to be without recognizing the message that the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, was upon Jesus, is upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit is, a, is anointing the church today for his presence to bring good news to the poor, to bring healing, to bind up the brokenhearted, to free the oppressed, whatever that means. We could just be a church that's like this balloon, or we could be one fulfilling its potential. We need to come back and contend for these things. Let's contend for the time to read the Bible. Let's contend for times of prayer. Let's not, let's not give up meeting together, as the Bible tells us. But let's contend and contend for the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm weak. I need you. The command from Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, is not to get drunk on wine, which is often a response to boredom and despondency, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. An ongoing daily activity is talking about being asked to be filled with the Spirit. This prophecy of Isaiah is to be filled through us as the church, as the Spirit works out Jesus' ministry through us. Let's understand this. Let's memorize it. Let's pray. And let's live out this foundational statement that the church is supposed to be. Stand together if you can. I'm going to band to come up and pray. Lead us into worship. But before that, I just want to take a moment just to Maybe God's been speaking to some of us this morning just how we've gone off track a little bit. We've lost our way a bit. We've neglected the things of the Bible. We've neglected prayer. We've neglected seeking the work and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of the church. And God is gracious, isn't he? That's the whole thing. God says, I just want to bring you back on track. I want to guide you back. Come on, what, 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 what are you doing with your time? Is it time well spelt, spent? Do you need to put a bit more time again into contending for the things of the Spirit? Reading the Bible, prayer, gathering together to be filled with the Spirit, praying for people that you meet on the street.
I think I just think you just get a sense there's, there's some people who have had that. Um, one, at some time, they were, they were out there, they were praying for people, they had real faith for it. Almost every person they came across, they prayed to be healed. But you stopped doing it. Because just either nothing happened, or you just become disillusioned. You stopped actually worshipping yourself. And I don't mean worshipping yourself, I mean you, you have stopped worshipping God. Um, and it's time to come back, it's time to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've neglected the things of the Spirit, I've neglected your presence. I've neglected the calling that you've placed on me and the church to bring that good news to the poor. Help me get back my zeal for you. Help me come back to that place of worship. Help me come back to this place of being anointed by you, Holy Spirit, and filled with you. Holy Spirit, would you come and just fill us again? Fill, Lord, as us as individuals. Fill your church with your presence and power. Come and reignite in us again a passion for this word passion for the calling of the church to bring the good news of Jesus to the lives of those who are in, in, in desperate situations who are hopeless and who need hope those who are under oppression of various different sources they need to be set free by hearing the good news of what Jesus has done bringing them a new hope and a new life so Holy Spirit we just ask for you to fill us come and fill us again Holy Spirit fill us with your presence